Well, good morning, saints. Good morning, sinners. Nice to have you all turning in uh, to our gathering on this long weekend, this long wet weekend, but uh, at least we got rain, right? So that's a good thing. And uh, in spite of all these new restrictions and things that are going on, um, I thought it would be important for us to actually stray from our topic uh, on the minor prophets um, uh, for a number of reasons, but one, because of today is a special day in the church calendar. Uh, if you're unaware, today is Pentecost Sunday. So it's the 50th day or the seventh Sunday uh, from Easter Sunday. So it, it commemorates the descent of the Holy Spirit upon Jesus' disciples while they were in the upper room. They were in Jerusalem. Um, they were told to wait. They're celebrating the Feast of Weeks as described in Acts chapter 2. And uh, this day, Pentecost Sunday, is actually what many call the birth of the church. So if you go to Acts chapter 2, we see that Pentecost is one of the greatest stories in all of Scripture. I just have to say that. Now, uh, it has the makings, really, of a Hollywood thriller when you think about it, uh, with all the sound of a violent rushing winds, uh, tongues of fire, superhero abilities, right, uh, of spontaneously hearing and speaking in foreign languages. Um, we're told that young men are going to have visions and old men are going to have dreams. There's going to be reports of the sun uh, being turned into darkness, the moon into blood. The list goes on. There's a whole lot of stuff that's going on there. And then this guy, Peter, stands up and he begins to preach. And one of the first things he tells everybody, this opening statement is, hey, folks, it's only 9 a.m. in the morning and we're not drunk. Okay, so uh, once he clarifies that <laughs> to all the listeners, to all the people that are watching, uh, he begins to unpack what the minor prophet Joel actually mentioned some 850 years earlier about this day coming to fruition. And Joel wrote and he said, and in the last days, it shall be, God declares, that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. And so notice he says all flesh. It's not just about the Jews. And so you see. Up until this point, God had moved. He had worked in the nation of Israel. Now his work is about to go out into all the nations. Every people of every uh, nation on earth should know and worship Jesus. The message is going to go out. And being filled with the Spirit and prophesying God's word was not just for a few select people anymore. It wasn't just for Israel. It was for all believers all over the world. Now, I could have spent this morning uh, focusing on the infilling of the Holy Spirit and uh, those who identify as charismatic, would, they would love it, right? Like, preach it, preach it, yeah, yeah. Then there are those in our community who would probably classify themselves as charismatics with seatbelts, okay? Just saying, you know, they want to have this wild roller coaster experience, but they, 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 they keep their hands and their legs inside the car. You know what I'm talking about, right? The, the manicostal, so to speak. But... Also in our community, we have people that they're, they're just not there yet. They're just trying to figure it all out. And uh, so I asked the question, what does this all have to do with all of us? And uh, first, I think I want us to understand that the story of Pentecost is very important because not only was it the birth of the church, but also more importantly, it's the presence of the Holy Spirit in the lives of every believer. Jesus already gave us the heads up in John chapter 20 when he says, all of this have spoken while still with you. But the advocate, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, uh, will teach you all things and will remind you of everything I've said to you. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. I do not give you uh, to you as the world gives. So don't let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. So Jesus has prepared them. Now, again, in Acts 1, 4, 8, we read that on one occasion, while Jesus was eating with them, he gave them this command. 
don't leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised, which you have heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you to be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in Judea, and Samaria, and the utter ends of the earth. So what we do is we find ourselves, you know, uh, we actually find ourselves in, in that of what she speaks in Acts 2. Jesus said that the advocate, the counselor, the comforter, the power, uh, you know, uh, is going to arrive. And then we see this in Acts 2. And when we read Acts 2, there's a bunch of disciples who uh, are radically transformed. They went from people who were hiding, they were in fear of their lives, to throwing caution in the wind and walking out on the streets of Jerusalem, proclaiming the good news of Jesus that he is risen. And all of this, you know, uh, uh, I found myself actually focused on one character, one character in the story. Now, if I was a good Pentecostal, I just have to say this, I would focus on the Holy Spirit, the manifestation uh, that takes place. But instead, I actually want to focus on a different character in the story who really caught my eye. And his name is Peter. Now, Peter stands up and he preaches a sermon under the power of the Holy Spirit about who Jesus is at the end. And, and, and all the listeners in Acts 2 hear and they ask a simple question, you know, you know what, what should we do? You know, you've, you've preached to us. What do we do? And Peter says, repent, receive Jesus as the gift of salvation and be baptized. And uh, 3,000 people respond. Now, that number 3,000 is, is actually quite significant because, first of all, there's a lot of compelling similarities uh, between what we see here in Acts chapter 2 and something that happened way back in the Old Testament in the time of Moses when he went up to Mount Sinai in Exodus chapter 19. Now, if you go back and you read Exodus 19, you'll see that the presence of God was accompanied by fire and smoke and the sound of thunder. And uh, uh, here in Acts, we, we read about the sound of the raging wind and tongues of fire and this gift of different types of languages. It's, it, it, it's here in Exodus 19 and the following chapters that God gives uh, the Torah, the law to, to Moses, the Big Ten, right? And unfortunately, the people were waiting for Moses. They get impatient, and he's not coming down from the mountain fast enough while he's meeting with God. And so what do they do? They begin to, you know, collect gold, and they form a golden calf, and they begin to worship uh, a, a golden calf. And, and, of course, this doesn't go over well with Moses. It especially doesn't go over well with God. And about 3,000 people that day uh, die as punishment for their sins. So now here in Acts 2, when the Holy Spirit descends during Pentecost, the people repented, and about 3,000 people are added. Those 3,000 people are from nations all over the earth, and what happens is that they come to life. Uh, also, God's presence was symbolized, you know, by cloud and fire, which led the Israelites out of Egypt, right? Later, God moved his presence into the temple. We read about this in, in 2 Chronicles chapter 5 and verses... And, and, uh, you know, verses 7 and 8 and 13 and 14. But at Pentecost, what we see is these new believers had tongues of fire on their heads. Interesting. It's as if God was saying, I've moved my presence from the temple of stone to, to this one, these, these believers. Paul writes in Romans 8 9, he says, You, however, are not in the realm of the flesh, but are in the realm of the spirit. If indeed the spirit of God lives in you, and if anyone doesn't have the spirit of Christ, they do not belong to Christ. So there, there's evidence that God is living in people, that we are the temple, as Paul calls it later on. We read uh, 
later on in Acts chapter 2, starting at verse 42, that they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. And everybody was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together. They all had everything in common. They sold their property and possessions to give to one another in need, uh, or sorry, to give to anyone who had need. And every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes. They ate together with glad, sincere hearts, which, by the way, we'll be doing together at the to end of today's life lesson. But they were praising God, enjoying the favor of all people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. Now, they did this in response to the gospel. It was a natural reaction to the message of Jesus. And if you really believed the gospel, you began to live this out. You began to do these things. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. Now, look, Christianity is a word-based religion, if I could put it that way. God reveals himself, his spirit. And the way he does that is obviously through uh, books and words, through the Bible, right? All the different books of the Bible and words. So we're reading, but we're also hearing preaching. And the, so it's the Bible, it's preaching, it's teaching. Also, our hearts are not naturally godly. Our sin makes us actually think wrongly. It, it distorts us. Our, our, you know, our culture says, look, at we can find truth from within. You know, it's my truth. Well, no, you don't look there. You know, Deuteronomy 6 sort of puts it this way. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. So love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength. And these commandments that I give today are to be on your heart. So impress them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home, when you walk along the road, when you lie down, when you get up. Tie them as symbols on your hands. Bind them on your foreheads. Write them on the door frames of your houses, on your gates. So here we see that faith is a lifestyle. God reveals him to, uh, himself to us. We accept it. Our faith now becomes a lifestyle. And here we see what a church is. A group of people who, who covenant with each other, who have officially organized. And now we can get caught up on the special effects of Pentecost, right? You know, but I don't want to draw, I don't want to really do that today. I actually want to draw attention to Peter. He stands out. And I actually believe that Peter is like you and me. Many people, when they start reading the Bible, they, they, they develop a, an affection for Peter because there's just something about him that we feel that we can relate to. Well, at least I can. Uh, um, I'm not actually sure who this message today is for, but I do know I need to hear it as much as anybody else. In fact, in a lot of ways, with this lockdown and everything else, I, I actually hope you'll be very encouraged this week in light of what we're living through. So in my hit, in my in my study, I, I I got fixated this week as I began to examine the life of Peter, and uh, I had I asked a simple question on social media, and it was, "What are some of the emotions you've been feeling over the last few weeks?" I couldn't believe the response I was getting. I'll get to that though in a moment. Let's go back to Peter. When Peter was first called as a disciple, he, he goes on to do great things for Jesus, obviously, right? Most of which is really found in the book of Acts after chapter 2. But reading about his early walk with Jesus, uh, I, I really noticed a pattern. I noticed this roller coaster pattern. He had these constant ups and downs. Uh, he had these highs and lows. It was almost <coughs> as, this, as if his life pattern... Um, really is a pattern for our own lives. 
one second he's on a mountaintop and, and quite literally seconds later, he's in the deepest of valleys. And so as I examined Peter's story, I, I, I believe I could see ours as well. And it's our emotional and spiritual walk with God, right? The emotional range that Peter experienced daily was absolutely insane. You know, uh, it, it's almost like being locked up with all these restrictions. Peter was a guy with tremendously high highs and tremendously profoundly low lows. And he often experienced both of these. And I would go so far as to say within the same hour. And this is not Peter at his best and Peter at his worst. This is a normal day-to-day -day Peter. Um, I think which actually makes his story so wonderfully human. And I think it's why it makes him so relatable and actually relevant to us. Um, because I think that that's possibly where many of us are right now. One minute we're up, next minute we're down. And it all starts in Matthew 4, 18, when, when Peter's called by Jesus to follow him. You know, this is the ultimate spiritual high for Peter, is it not? And, and it should be. He's chosen. He's called out. He's given a purpose by Jesus himself. But his journey with Jesus has only begun. And so in Matthew 14, 19, Jesus just fed the 5,000 people. And, and uh, so you can imagine the high that, that has taken place there. And he wanted some alone time. So what does he do? He sends the disciples into a boat. He tells them, you know, I'll meet you guys on the other side. And they get a halfway across the water. And a huge storm on the lake happens. And you, these guys are stranded. They're stranded in a storm. It's the middle of the night. And it must have been really bad because the majority of them are fishermen. And they're afraid. They're actually terrified. And then the next thing they see is this, this thing walking on the water to them. And it, obviously it's Jesus, mind you. They're like, uh, that's a ghost, you know. And, and Jesus says, no, 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 it's me. Don't be afraid. And, and uh, in, in, in verse 28, Peter says, well, if you call me, Jesus, I'll come to you. And, of course, Jesus just does that, you know. And what does Peter do? He gets out of the boat. He starts walking to Jesus. Another Hi. And can you imagine how he's feeling? He's excited. He's faith-filled. He's, he's full of awe. He, this guy's walking on water. This is not supposed to happen. But then doubt creeps in. Fear begins to rear its head in his life. And Peter begins to sink. And there's a dip in his faith. And he's literally experiencing another low, right? Gets pulled into a boat. You can read the story. You know, and as I describe his life, see if you can recognize another pattern that takes place here. In Matthew 16, verses 13 to uh, 20, Peter is the first to confess that Jesus is the Christ. And Jesus is like, yeah, right. Well, kind of, it's the way I think about it. You know, star student, in fact, you know, I'm going to use you, Peter, as a rock uh, um, of, of my church. And not even hell is going to be able to stop you. And you can imagine, you know, here's Peter, you know, high, he's the star student, he gets it. But then again, just a few verses later in Matthew 16, he gets called Satan by Jesus. That's a bit of a low, you know. Uh, I, I imagine you've had some pretty crappy lows in your Christian life. But if Jesus were to show up in your living room right now and call you Satan, that's actually probably rock bottom. Um and then you keep reading six days later in Matthew 17, Jesus takes Peter, he takes James and John hiking, right? And what happens is right before them, a, a spectacular occurrence uh, takes place, and it's called the transfiguration. Peter's an eyewitness. Again, another high of what's taking place here. Here's the voice of God saying, this is my son who I'm well pleased. Listen to him. And now when Peter hears this, he, he and the boys are paralyzed. 
with fear. Um, uh, they, they fall face first to the ground. They're terrified. Uh, again, another low. They're scared. And once it's all over, only Jesus is left standing. And I'm sure once it's all over, Peter's kind of perplexed and even confused. Because Jesus says, don't tell anybody about what's going on. A little later in Matthew 17, Peter has been out doing God's work. He's trying to cast out demons with uh, all the other disciples. And they come across this one young man. And, and uh, uh, you know, prior to that, I'm sure that there's a lot of highs because they're doing God's work. But then they come across a guy and they can't seem to set him free. Um, which, again, would be another low point. What's going on? What's wrong? What's wrong with me? How come we can't do this? And, and then in verses 17 to the one, 21, he's told along with all the others that they have little faith. Again, a bit of a downer, you know, high to low. By the time we get to Matthew 26, after what we call the Last Supper, Peter is feeling extremely bold. He, he pledges to Jesus that he'll never fall away, right? You know, again, I would categorize that as a high. But in reality, it, it, reality actually kicks in when Jesus looks at him in verse 34. He says, Peter, you're going to deny me three times. Again, another low. Peter's response is, I'm not going to die. Jesus, I will die for you. And again, I'm wondering if Peter is sort of left there questioning himself. Then we find ourselves in the Garden of Gethsemane, Matthew 26, 40. And what happens there? <laughs> Peter and the boys fall asleep. Jesus comes by and he, you know, has some hard words. You know, can you guys just stay awake for one hour and pray with me, basically, he says it. It's like, bam, you know, and I, I, I personally, uh, I read this, I never feel more vindicated as a pastor, right? Reading about the disciples falling asleep when they're supposed to be praying <laughs> makes me feel great. I'm, I'm not sure that this is really a low for Peter. It just made me feel better about myself. That's why I actually included it. Can I get an amen or an ouch in the comments? Eh? <laughs> you know what I'm saying here. And then we read Matthew 26, 47. And that's when Judas and the bad guys, they show up to arrest Jesus. And, of course, Peter's bold, right? And, and he's filled with adrenaline. He pulls a sword and he cuts off the, the servant's ear in defense of Jesus. And, of course, I would call that a high, right? Being a defender. Oh, look what I can do. And then Jesus said, look at Peter. This isn't cool. This is not how we do business in my kingdom. And now I'm sure Peter's probably feeling like an idiot when that's all over. It's, it's, he's just got rebuked by his master. He's trying to de defend, again, another low. And then the bad guys, they move in to arrest Jesus. And what happens with Peter? Well, he and the others run away. Bold guy, right? You know, 21 verses earlier, he said, I'll die before I deny you type of thing. And now we read in Matthew 26, 28, that he follows Jesus at a distance, far away. That's a low. Then we come to Matthew 26, verses 69 to 75. And in that passage, Peter denies Jesus three times. How low can you go, right? Peter's ashamed. He's sad. He's angry at himself. He's weeping bitterly. He watches the trial and the crucifixion of Jesus. There's probably depression, hurt, abandonment, confusion. Now his friend, his hero, is now being not only dead, he's now being buried. It's a, it's a speechless point in his life. <coughs> Three days later, Peter hears the news the tomb is empty. He runs to it. And, and I love how Luke describes it in Luke 24, 12. He says that he was bewildered. And it says that he went away wondering to himself what happened. 
The ultimate high happens in John 20, verse 19, when Jesus appears to Peter and all the other disciples. And, and then this is followed by a very intimate moment when Jesus begins to restore Peter. So you see these highs and lows and you go to John 21, verse 15, start there. And Jesus says, like, do you love me, Peter? And he asked Peter this question three times. Why? Because Peter denied him three times. Again, a, a shot to the heart. And now Jesus gives Peter an opportunity to confess him as, save, as Savior. Then Jesus tells Peter how he's going to die. So you have this forgiveness and then you have a prophecy, a realization. What a mixture of highs and lows. And other than the highs and lows, did you see any other pattern there in all that of Peter's story? Did you see anything? Jesus was with Peter all the time. Jesus was with him in his ups and Jesus is with him in his downs. As, as if Jesus was continually pursuing Peter, that he had a plan for him, that he was committed to Peter. Uh, you know, even when you're down, Peter, I'm there. I'm ready to pick you up. All you got to do is call out to me. Like, and that's exactly what happened in Matthew 14, right? When he tried to walk on water. And if nothing else, his lows occurred to show him that Jesus would never leave him. Track Peter's life. He's up and down. Only consistent element we see in Peter's life is Jesus consistently being there. Jesus is consistently loving him. Jesus is consistently ready to accept him. Just uh, He's consistently by his side at every crazy turn, at every high, at every low, at every up, at every down. Jesus is there. After the resurrection, Jesus informed the disciples that he was going to be with the Father, but he was going to send the Holy Spirit and that they were to wait for uh, him to arrive. And sure enough, that takes place in Acts chapter 2, Pentecost Sunday, right? And we now find Peter preaching at Pentecost in uh, verse 14 of Acts 2 with power. And who's there with him? The Holy Spirit, the Comforter, the Power Source. And Peter has been given a new identity right there on the spot. And Pentecost is really just the beginning of what God is going to do through Peter. The Holy Spirit begins to reaffirm Peter as the rock would be instrumental in the spread of the early church, particularly to those outside of the Jewish tradition. Peter goes on to heal lame beggars. He preaches boldly before government officials. He endures being arrested, beatings and threats, and uh, none of them could actually dampen his resolve to preach the gospel because he now knew whatever he was going through, the Holy Spirit was there with him. Always. And where Jesus was for Peter every step of the way before his ascension into heaven, the Holy Spirit now takes over. Now, I was describing Peter's life. Were you able to look over your own life at the same time? Have you started to look like uh, at your life yet? You know, am I talking to anybody? Like the highs and the lows? I, I actually believe that my social media posts affirm this reality. And again, here are some of the responses to my question. And, and maybe you can share this or see the similarities even with Peter's life. You know, what are some of the emotions you've been feeling over the last few weeks? Boredom, depression, anger, anxiety, sadness, frustration, love, 
stress, anxiety, anger, joy, love, impatience, times of thankfulness, times of frustration, impatience, bewilderment, sadness, loss of connection with church family, sometimes just overwhelmed or in disbelief that the world has changed so drastically, languished, stunned or shocked at the huge divisions that have happened between friends, groups caused by political, religious, or even COVID beliefs. I wonder some days if normality as if it would ever return or is all this just a practice run? Grateful and hoping, knowing that all things work together for good to them that put their trust in the Lord. Lost, loneliness, hopeless, yet so grateful, thankful, trusting. Sadness, gratefulness, longing for Christ's return. Overwhelmed, helpless, angry, confused, ah, hopefully peace, grateful, bored. Frustration, annoyance, peace, anxiety, sadness, loneliness, anger, exhaustion, a perfect blend of impatience and hope, and finally love, anger, patience, relief, peace, panic, excitement. That's a lot of highs and lows, right? Like, yeah, people respond in so many different ways. I, can any of you resonate with that? Look, you're not alone. And even as a pastor, I'm this, experiencing this just as much as anybody. And to be honest, at this very moment, I have to be, you know, hear confessions of a pastor, right? I'm exhausted, probably as exhausted as I've been in a long time, physically, spiritually, emotionally. And yet at the same time, I'm sort of energized because of the word I believe that God has for you and for me right in front of us. And all I'm trying to say is this. If you feel the tension, if you feel the roller coaster ride of emotions right now, you're not alone. You may be up one second, down the next, but listen, here, here's the good news. God is okay with both. God is in all of it. God is not intimidated by your ups and downs. God is on your mountaintop and God is in your valley. And I mean that both figuratively and literally. Read Psalms 139. Where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I go up to the heavens, you are there. If I make my bed in the depths, you are there. If I rise on the wings of the dawn, if I settle on the far side of the sea, even there your hand will guide me. Your right hand will uphold me fast. And here's where we get rolling uh, because of this word of encouragement. If you love God and you're called according to his purpose, then you can cling to this promise. That even in all of your ups and downs, Jesus is prayerfully, patiently, powerfully, and passionately pursuing you. And he'll never let Satan destroy your faith or bring you to ruin. There are four words I want you to remember today. You are not alone. Right there. You are not alone. When you're full of peace, you're not alone. When you're racked with anxiety, you're not alone. When you're full of joy and gratitude, you're not alone. When you're overwhelmed with confusion and loneliness, you are not alone. When you love your neighbors well during quarantine, you are not alone. When you snap at your spouse during quarantine, you are not alone. Somebody give me a digital amen, right? Right now, give me those little handshakes, those high fives. The Holy Spirit is with you. And those of you who feel like, uh, you know, you're in heaven right now because you're enjoying quarantine and you're, you know, you're not really a people person. You're still not alone. For those of you who feel like you're in Sheol, right, because of this quarantine and all the restrictions, you're not alone. 
All the events in Peter's life could be defined as ups and downs, but the one thing that remained constant for Peter was that Jesus was there with Peter when he was up, and he was there with Peter when he is down, and how ultimately he promises the same for both you and me. Peter even writes this in his letter to the church in 1 Peter 5, 7. He says, cast your anxiety on him because he cares for you. Jesus is prayerfully, patiently, powerfully, passionately pursuing you and me. Hebrews 13, 5 says, never will I leave you. Never will I forsake you. Church, our emotions may be all over the place during this time, but God is also all over the place in a good way. There's nowhere you, your emotions, your circumstances can run. You know, that he isn't already there to sustain you and to uphold you. Even when we're foolish, God shows himself faithful. When we're up and down, God remains the same. When life is unpredictable, the one thing you never have to wonder about is, is where is God in the moment? Because he is there. Even when your feelings are all over the map, you don't have to wonder where Jesus is. You know, he's there with you. He is there when you feel like you're walking on water. He's there with you when you feel like you're sinking. He's there when you're confessing. He's there when you're rebuking. He's there when you're betraying him in sin. And he's there when you're ready to confess. And what is he going to do? He's ready to restore you. Now, maybe you're thinking, well, Jesus, uh, sorry, Jerry. <coughs> Excuse me. I got a tickle. Maybe you're thinking, now, Jerry, if, if Jesus is with me, then why do I go through the pits and the valleys in the first place? I think that's a great question. And, and, and God doesn't remove the problems in our lives. He just promises to be with us in them. David writes, yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I'll fear no evil that you are with me. And that's how, as believers, we can live and exist in the tension of ups and downs. Because we know that with Jesus, he's using everything for his glory, for our good. Which means that even when you're going up and down, we're always technically moving forward. With Jesus, even when life takes uh, that downturn, that, that turn is still a forward trajectory as we walk with him. Because it's going to open our eyes to um, how we more fully need Jesus, which makes you lean more wholly on him. And, uh, you know, what greater joy can be found in life than to have your eyes open to more uh, more beauty, more majesty, more sufficiency of who Jesus really is. The Savior who's sovereign, who's capable, who's powerful, who's caring enough to walk with you and me through our ups and downs. <clears throat> now, if you don't know Jesus as Savior, then the ups and downs in life really is all that's there for you. The ups are temporary highs, the downs are devastating lows. And it's just this cruel cycle of life. But with Jesus, there comes meaning. And there's meaning in our times of glory, and there's meaning in our times of misery. And as we grow in our relationship with Jesus, it, it, it's not that the lows disappear. It's just that your lows no longer define you or defeat you. Your lows may still be low, let's be honest, but they don't feel as low because you're not alone. You're not alone with Jesus. In life's highs, the Holy Spirit is there, giving you and I a glimpse of the joy to come in eternity. And life's lows, the Holy Spirit is there opening our eyes for uh, our need, our need of more of Jesus. And this is what Peter came to understand throughout his life, that he has a hope beyond the ups and downs of this world. Peter even writes about this in his letter in 1 Peter. He says, praise be to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. 
Peter is in instrumental in teaching us that hope just isn't just wonderful, you know, wishful thinking. But biblical hope is the confidence God's people have that God will fulfill his promises, fulfill his promises towards us. And for all of God's promises are yes and amen in Christ Jesus as the one who is always with us. It says that in Corinthians. Remember, it was Jesus who told his disciples that when they were stuck in the, the storm, he said, don't be afraid. It's me. Um, it's almost like we can translate it back. This is, you know, take heart. I am, you know, Jesus is pointing back to Exodus chapter three, declaring I am who I am. I am God. I've got this under control, even in the midst of the storm. And we have to remember Jesus's last words as he ascends to heaven. Jesus came to them and said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. So today, are you hurting? You're not alone. The Holy Spirit is there with you. Uh, hope is is in his promise to be your comforter are you confused the holy spirit's with you hope is his promise to be your guide are you anxious the holy spirit's with you hope is his promise to be your peace are you weak the holy spirit is with you hope in his promise to be your strength are you fearful have courage he's with you and Peter's failures did not define him. And ours will not define us. And sure, there's stumbles along the path when we're following Jesus. But the stumble is always forward towards the Savior who paid for it all. Uh, he paid for our stumbles on the cross. And Peter's story isn't one of success and failures. It's a story about Jesus who saves, who restores, who redeems, who never leaves. Now, about great faith or great fault. It's, 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 it's not real about any of that. It's really about great grace. Thomas Watson, he once said that grace dissolves and liquefies the soul, causing a spiritual thaw. And I kind of love that. It's kind of like a block of ice left out in front of the, in the sun. Our hard hearts just melt before the loving kindness of Jesus. And so the gospel the message of Jesus shows us that we don't have to wonder what God's response will be when we admit our failure and, and run to him for help. Jesus always meets our hurt with hope. Do you have that eternal hope? Do you have that surety that Jesus is with you today? If you don't, you can use just, you know, the same simple three words that, you, that Peter used when he felt that he was drowning. Lord, save me. You know, if you need to, contact us in the chat or the number on the screen. If you want to talk, if you want somebody to pray with you, we're here for you. That's, that's what we want to do. Listen, everyone. You never walk alone. This is the essence of the good news that came into history 2,000 years ago. And it's still good news today. Know that he whose spirit overreaches eternity, undergirds the universe walks beside us. Who would not be strengthened and calmed by such a connection? Wherever you find yourself today, up or down, Jesus is there. We're going to move into communion. But first, let's prepare our hearts 
And will you pray with me? God, your word can change everything. It can change everything. And we live in a time when talk is cheap. And so now we pray for ears to hear what the Holy Spirit says to his church with the understanding that this word calls the dead to life. Lord, that your word speaks peace to a troubled hearts, that it brings light to the darkness. And so we ask that you would do that right now amongst us for the glory of the name of Jesus in whom we now pray. Amen. Listen to the lyrics of the song before Piper comes and leads us in communion. My blessing for you, Soul Sanctuary, is to go into the world and work to bring forth new life. Dream dreams, pursue visions, and speak to all that you know of, of God's goodness. And may the God who breathed life into creation, may he be your delight. May Christ give hope to you and your dreaming today. And may the Holy Spirit, the advocate, the supporter, the one who comes alongside you, may he set ablaze your heart with a passion for peace. And may you experience his constant presence. Now go in peace and live the church. We'll see you next week.